Hello and welcome to All Villa, No Filler, a podcast all about Aston Villa, genuinely the world's greatest football team. Subscribe on YouTube, follow us on Spotify, Apple and wherever you get your podcasts. It's 24 hours since Villa made history and gave Pep Guardiola the biggest statistical battering of his career in a 1-0 win at Villa Park. And it sets it up very nicely for a top of the table clash with Arsenal this Saturday. Today, I'm joined by AVFC London Lions chairman, Paul Webb, who was at the game. Good to have you back, Webbo. Thanks, Frankie. Yeah, what a day to be a Villa fan, mate. This is like just the dreamland at the moment, mate. It is the best I think I've ever felt. Um, well, you know, let's cut to the chase. You were at Villa Park last night. Is that the best performance you've ever seen from an Aston Villa team? Uh, yes, in short, I maybe once you the euphoria dies down and you review it, and you there's probably a two or three that you can link to, but the whole I think you've hit the nail on the head. The actual result wasn't that impressive. It's when on paper it's a one nil win against Man City, that's that in itself isn't impressive, but the manner of performance, the levels the team and some of those individuals reached, I genuinely haven't seen at Villa Park. We, I look back to the O'Neill days, which is probably the only chance that maybe in our lifetime we reached such heights. And I remember everybody saying about O'Neill, we were a 60-minute team or we were a one-half mm-hmm. team. Last night, from the first minute all the way to the last, we dominated. We were sensational. It's like they had two chances. This is treble-winning Man City <laughs> had two chances. And the rest of the game, we were just in complete control. And some of the play was just sensational. Some of the, it wasn't fluky. It wasn't no, like it wasn't. we were defending gung-ho and then counter. We absolutely dominated it. So, the and that's why it, it feels like now is a different type of excitement because we've had big results in the past and you get excited by the result. I'm now genuinely excited because there's a team there that I saw last night reach levels that I didn't think they were possible of. Mm. And the team should be around for years to come. Yes. So if those are their levels today, what 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 else can they reach? Like that was a, a huge performance, Frankie. It was so fun. It was absolutely unbelievable. I, I was gutted I wasn't there, to be honest. Um, but you know, uh normally when you think of like big results in the past, you know. Or if somebody beats a Man City, it's always that, you know, they'll get the goal in the 75th minute, go ahead and City then just pin you back and you, it's just back yeah. to the walls and you, you're kicking the ball off the line in the 93rd minute. And, you know, eventually at the end of the game, you're all like, that was amazing. And yeah. then you go and lose 1-0 at Brentford or something. But <laughs> the reality is that last night, we absolutely battered them in every single department. 22 shots to Man City's two, one of which was offside anyway, Haaland's yeah. header. Uh, I mean, it's it's just beyond comprehension that you could see a Pep Guardiola team be so dominated. And statistically, in pretty much every single way you can look at it, it's the most dominated he's ever been. And it yeah. genuinely, if they had come out of that three or four nil winners, you'd think, yeah, they deserved it. Um, it was just an incredible, incredible performance. And, um, you know, you, you were in the stadium. I mean, what was that? What was the atmosphere like? Uh, it was special. Frankly, like, it, it's a strange one because there is something about going to football games of an evening that does generate just a little bit more of a buzz. I can't, I can't quite 
figure it out what what it is, but I have succumbed to it many a times. And a game under the floodlights does just bring a little bit of an extra spark. So you could just sense that there was a little bit more when we were down in the hole and before the game. The eight fifteen kickoff probably allowed people to not rush from work. So. Uh, that extra half an hour to a traditional kickoff just meant everybody was more at ease, probably had a time for an extra beer, etc. So everybody was up for it. And you sort of approach the game without any fear. It's like, well, why can't we beat Man City? We haven't yeah. lost at Villa Park in the league for, you know, well, 14 games, however long that is. Um, and we had nothing to fear. Like, they were, we, we caught them at the right time. I mean, we have to accept there was an element of, yeah luck in the time of the fixture. So them not having Rodri, Grealish, Doku, De Bruyne, they're, they're huge players, right? If they're playing, it's a different game. So we have to, we took the opportunity that was presented to us and we took it with both hands and the fans from the start were bang up to it. I think we had a chance really, really early on. Luca Dinia had a shot which just hit the side net and within the, about like within the first five minutes and it just set the tone. Yeah, it, it isn't hard to create an atmosphere against Man City, is it? That, that's the big game you want to win. Where we are at the minute, if the atmosphere had been flat last night to begin with, there's something incredibly wrong. So when the performance started to kick in, the fans just went with it. And mm. by the time we scored, because it was beginning to feel like this is going to be a 1-0 Man City win, <laughs> yeah. where almost a bit Spurs-esque, where oh, the media still love Spurs when they lose. It felt mm. like this is going to be one of those games where we get all the plaudits, and then we we chat this time, and we've got zero points from it, but yeah. we're sitting here saying, oh, you know what, we're going to go on to big things, but honestly, when that goal went in, I, I've, I've, I've got cuts all over my shin. <laughs> My legs are an absolute mess. I, it was just euphoria. And I was absolutely bricking it in the injury time. But when you watch it back, it was comfortable. Like, yeah. The tension in the stadium is one thing. But then actually, when you just when you get out of that tension, you watch the last five minutes back. Like you said, they weren't bombarding our goal. No. There was one cross from a free kick in about the 85th minute, which Dougie Louise did his utmost to dive and put into his own net. But it was just a simple catch for Martinez. He had nothing to do and the fans were just... It genuinely felt like this wasn't a one-off. It felt like this was a big game and everybody in the stadium is up for quite a few more big games in the this season and for the next few seasons. It just feels like we've turned a huge corner, frankly. It really does. You know, we've had some amazing performances under Unai Emery. You know, his first game, the Man United 3-1, uh, and then the Newcastle 3-0, yeah. I think, was absolutely exceptional. But there was just something about that win last night that really felt like we've just done that to the treble-winning champions yeah. of Europe. And, you know, the team with all the assets in the world, with, uh, you know, possibly the greatest coach who's ever coached, uh, Unai Emery himself, uh, doesn't have a good record against him, never beat him before last night. Yeah. And it, it kind of feels like Emery and Aston Villa in unison have turned a corner together. But Emery, I think, in the past would have tried to be a bit more pragmatic against uh, Pep Guardiola sides. Now it feels like he takes the game um, to, uh, you know, t teams managed by, you know, or higher up the table, um, like a City or a Liverpool. Um, he's willing to do that more than I think he used to. Uh, and and with that, he's sort of almost 
uh, evolving as a manager and Aston Villa as a club are evolving as a consequence. It's absolutely yeah. just amazing to watch. And you're exactly right. Like it feels like it's setting us up for big games, not just, you know, this Saturday or this season, but for the years ahead. And yeah. you, know, you see like Martinez going mad at the end and you just think that's the kind of character we have now on the pitch yeah. at Villa. Like someone who wants to win, someone with that, you know, like that that energy of just, you know, I'm going to lay the smack down, as the rock would say. <laughs> uh, it's it's incredible. Um, but, you know, like I say, I mean, I, you get different perspectives in the ground and from TV, but uh, why did you think City particularly struggled to break Villa down? It felt to me like they were just never able to get through our midfield at all. Well, it's, well, you, it's an interesting point because I was going to ask you the question uh, from watching it because... I reflect on their team sheets, and yes, we've we've mentioned they had a few issues, but it felt like the high line, which we've discussed beforehand, which does present opposition with chances in every game, I actually felt like it did the exact opposite in this game. It felt like they, Man City, changed the way they played because they felt like the best way to beat Villa was to spring that offside trap, mm-hmm. and Haaland was playing differently to how he would in every other game. So we it felt like we'd, because of the way we played, we'd forced Man City to change their way. And Man City are renowned for, we have a plan A. Plan A is so good. If plan A doesn't work for 70 minutes, plan A will work in the 70 to 80 minutes. If plan yeah. A doesn't work in 80 minutes, it will work at some point. We trust our process so much. But you look at the way Man City set up and it just felt like they... Didn't quite, they didn't have a plan of how to beat us. They didn't set up with their normal, I mean, no, they didn't set up with any midfielders to start with. And it just felt like the, the professor had got into Pep's head somehow. Like the way they set up was just unman city like. And it felt like we'd had a little win before the game started. So I didn't know if maybe the commentators had, had talked about that, but it did feel like they were playing like differently because of the way we play. And I think that's a huge sign of how intimidating coming to Villa Park has become. Because mm. there's no doubt when we play them at the uh, Etihad later in the season, it'll be a completely different uh, scenario. But it feels like teams now are, scared's probably the wrong word, but very respectful of yeah. coming to Villa Park. They realise that they have to do something perhaps slightly differently. And I'm now, I'm not never going to be super confident going into games, but I'm super confident in the fact that if a team beats us at Villa Park now in the league, they're going to have to put in one hell of a performance. Yeah. And if a team does that, sometimes you have to accept that you can get beaten by another team on the day. But we have created something so like impressive that teams now are coming to Villa Park without their normal plan and a little bit uncertain of what to do. So I, I think we actually had a beat. The professor had got it sorted before a ball was kicked last night. We managed to influence their decision making, so we just took them out of their game plan. And mm. he switched it around at half time by bringing Bernardo more central. But by that point, uh, and one of the things that really impressed me was how relentless we were, Frankie. Oh, yeah, it's like yeah. we, you could easily see a scenario where after uh, 45 minutes of battering them, you go in at half time. And then the chat at half time was, well, Man City aren't going to be that bad second half. That it, it was a sort of a that was amazing, but that was probably our opportunity we've missed in that yeah. first half. Like we probably yeah. should have been two 0 up at half time, and then you sort of cling on mentality. But and it felt like the first five minutes of the second half they had a bit more possession. They were yeah. growing into the game, and then I think 
Dougie and Kamara were sensational in that midfield and they just grabbed hold of the game once again. And for the, I think that after about the 55th minute onwards, we were just in complete control once again. So I actually think we, they didn't know how to prepare for our game. Mm. And it, it, looking at it, it looked to me like Villa had a, a very, very set structure in the midfield. And I, I remember there was a couple of occasions watching it where I think it'd be like a, a Ruben Diaz or an Akanji would come from the defence and push forward and look around and they look in the centre and you just see like one City player stuck in between this mass of Villa players who just bunged up the middle of the park. And it yeah. felt like City just never really had an option to go to play through us. I think, yeah. And um, it just felt like it never quite happened for them, apart from that one occasion when Phil Foden cut inside and did manage to just get that ball through to Haaland. Yeah. Brilliant save from uh, Emmy Martinez. Um, but it, yeah, it just felt a bit like... Villa were kind of a medium block almost, and the line was high. The midfielder were were all very condensed, but like not so condensed that if he went out wide, one of them couldn't go out then and support the wide players to to mark as well. And then on top of that, when City had the ball at the back, we'd be putting them under relentless pressure all the time. Even the Edison, it was like we were just Watkins would be straight on him, and then if it went out to Ruben Diaz, Leon Bailey would be on him. It was just like the whole the preparation. We it was so good that. Um, it's just, just I just marvel at it. I mean, I, yeah. I keep saying it. I want to write poetry to uh, Unai. <laughs> I just do all the time. But you know, I mean, it's it's hard to pick a player because I feel like every single person was ten out of ten, including yeah. substitutes who came on for about fifty seconds, including the ball boys, including everyone in the stands. But I mean, who who did stand out to you? Would you say? I mean, you're absolutely right. They all played exceptional. Like I saw a somebody posted so like they all gave him 10 out of 10 apart from one player who was Leon Bailey who they gave 11 out of 10 yeah, yeah, yeah. that felt to me there was the right sort of way to sum it up. I think Leon Bailey last night was the best I've ever seen him play um, ever. Uh, ever and I, I'll be honest when I talked about it at this top, top of the podca- uh, podcast I players that I didn't think could reach that level he would probably be the first on my list of players who I didn't think could get to that level uh, I thought he was a 10-minute, 15-minute world-class player and then you miss him for half an hour. But last night, he was on when he wanted to win that game. I think more than I've ever seen a desire in an individual ever before, he was relentless. And you always had a sense he wanted, he always wants to be on the limelight and he, he was always going to be up for the big games. Mm. But this last few, under the fact that he's not even starting many games and this attitude that I think a lot of fans felt that he would have a bad attitude and he would sulk, and as soon as he's not playing, he would, you know, cause unrest. It's completely the opposite. He's been used sparingly this season. It'd be mm. interesting to see who's had more minutes between him and Diaby. It's probably now quite similar. Mm. But neither of them are throwing their toys out of the bag. Each of them, are, as soon as they get on the pitch, want to make a point. And he made one hell of a point last night. I thought Bailey was sensational. And probably the only other name I'd call out is Tielemans for very cinema. Yeah. Cinema. Reasons in that he hasn't had as much game time, but the last few weeks, when Zaniola's playing and he's not, the team just looks so out of kilter. So for me, Tielemans now has become a he is part of the strongest eleven that we've got at this moment in time. And I thought, yeah, everybody last night was sensational, but Bailey, I thought, was a man possessed. It was absolutely remarkable to witness. And I think Tielemans and Bailey, ever since that four-one against uh, Alkmaar, where they were both sensational both scored the two of them have just gone up a level yeah um and i think i think it took Tielemans a little bit longer this season to get going but 
Bailey, for him, it was ever since that 4-0 against Everton at Villa Park back in August, where he got a goal and an assist. And ever since then, consistently, he's been incredible. And, you know, after the game last night, Professor Unai did the post-match interview and they said to him about Leon Bailey. And he said, you know, they said, oh, he played so well. And he said, it's it's about the consistency and it's about working harder. And you can see that he's clearly been at him constantly, like, you are a really, really talented player, but you're not consistent enough. You need to be more consistent. You need to work hard. And it's clearly just got into him and inspired him in a way that he's producing the goods similarly every game now. But, you know, Bournemouth, I thought he was brilliant. Um, But last night, I mean, there were moments where it reminded me of Diego Maradona, that picture of him surrounded (laughs) by all the Netherlands players. You know, (laughs) Gavardiol probably looked at Leon Bailey and it reminded him of playing Lionel Messi uh, for Argentina. You know, he was probably calling him Lionel Bailey by the end of the night. It was absolutely... (laughs) insane performance you know he'd, he'd yeah. have four players on him and always work a way out everything he did worked and it's you know we've said for ages you know with Bailey like he's had 10 out of 10 games before like the Man United 3-1 but then he followed it up with a 2 out of 10 a 3 out of 10 he'd go missing but the consistency that he never had he's shown it at last it, it's just amazing to watch and to think that you've got a player like Diaby who can just come off the bench and come yeah, I mean, my God. I mean, it's it, uh, Jacob Ramsey coming on, Alex Moreno coming on, Zaniolo didn't come on, Matty Cash didn't come on. I mean, the squad depth at the moment is just, oh, it, I'll tell you what, Weber, I'm, <laughs> I'm daring well, to dream. It's not just the squad depth, but you look at the starting 11 last night. I I wondered if I was dreaming or if this was true, but just look at their ages. So, Cons is 26, Power is 26, you got Dougie's 25, Kamara's 24. Tielemans is 26, Watkins 27, Bailey 26, Ramsey 22, Duran 19, Cash 26, Diaby 24. These are all just about to come into their prime. And they, like that, if we can get into the Champions League, we can challenge. They have no need to leave Aston Villa. So no. this could be the spine of our team. Emmy Martinez for a goalkeeper is 31, so he's relatively young as well. Yeah. So you've got a spine there of from what we saw last night a world-class football team that could be with us for the next five seasons and they're only going to get better. <laughs> so it's scary. Like It generally is. If you're not going to get excited now, there's no point. This is the time to get excited. Absolutely. I mean, I'm still not over the, you know, the days of watching, of like watching us in the championship, you know, struggling yeah. to, like it, how on earth has this turned turned around so so rapidly? And you know, another player to mention last night, I thought John McGinn was yeah. again. I, I keep saying this about John McGinn. Um, I think he is an Alex Ferguson era Manchester United player. I think he's the type of player who has much more quality than people realize, um, is a real fighter, just never gives up, and is exactly what Ferguson would have had at Man United back yeah. in the day, and the type of player Man United need right now. Um, and thank God, you know, that they're badly run because if they were well run, they'd look at McGinn and go, "That's a Man United player." He's yeah. he's absolutely, particularly at home this season. I've seen him play multiple ten out of ten games now. Fulham, yeah. he was brilliant. Everton, he was brilliant. Um, uh, Luton, and then last night. I mean, it, how good was McGinn as well? Yeah, he's been brilliant throughout for almost the entire time under Emery because he was really, really struggling under Gerrard. He, yeah. he lost it. I think we all felt his time at Villa was, you know, we signed him in the championship. It's a huge step up that he had to take, go taking a step up from a championship side to a relegation threatened side isn't that big, mm. but we've taken a step up 
now from relegation to securely mid-table. Then you've taken another step up to European and now you're taking another step up and he is now taking that journey. And I felt last night was yet another captain's performance from the guy and he just is non-stop. I think another game that you like the game against Mostar in the in the at home when he got that last minute winner, he was just driving and driving and driving. He's been a force this season. And what I think is he's such a unique player in the yes. way that he gets his his cheeky little bottom out throughout the game. But the way he backs in and turns players, I don't think there's another player that does that in the league. Certainly no one does it as well as him. So the way that he gets the ball moving across his body and transitions from defence into attack with a simple looking movement. No other player is doing that. So mm. when other midfielders come up against him, they've got no idea how to get around the immovable force, which is John McGinn's arse. <laughs> it's, just, uh, it's, have you heard uh, the nickname for him today? <laughs> no, I'm not. <laughs> uh, he's a brave heart, his brave arse, apparently. Uh, I'll tell you that. All right. uh, it, it is a Hadrian's wall of an arse. Nothing's getting past it. <laughs> yeah, it, but it's... And he just loves it so much. You could tell that everything has just fell into place for McGinn. So he's obviously doing fantastically well for Scotland, who have beginning yeah. to qualify for tournaments as well. And that can only help him as a an individual. He's got a drive that he wants to be playing for Scotland at the end of this season. And those little things that are driving you on as individuals can only help him at club form. Like He's going to just continue this form, I feel, for the rest of the season. And he, he's just going to keep getting better and better, I hope. But he was sensational last night. All Villa, no filler on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. I totally agree with all that. And, um, you know, I've been listening to a lot of wider podcasts, wider football podcasts today because I, you know, I have to hear people talk <laughs> about the Villa, you know. And uh, I still think general wider punditry and i say this as someone who works within the media industry i still feel like people i feel like people have caught on to villa much more than they had before and you know we've had a lot of coverage recently brilliant but i still listen to these podcasts and i still think i still think the way you talk about villa it's like heart it's like yeah they're good but you're not sort of expressing why villa are good you know Mm -hmm. there's no sort of depth to it it's almost like you're sort of half watching it but you still think villa are just going to yeah, they're having a nice run. It'll fall away at some point. Look, I I don't know if Villa are in a title race. That's a question I've heard asked a couple of times today. <laughs> but I'll ask you, Webbo, you know, do you believe Villa are in not just competition for the Champions League, but potentially a title race as well? Uh, no. Yeah. I have to, as much as I... And I think that's part of me that is just trying to calm myself down. <laughs> I mean, you just have to... We can beat anybody. And we showed last night, if you have those performances, you will be right up at the top. But those performances, we're talking about that was the best ever Villa performances. So you don't get them every week. It was only four days ago that we scraped a draw away at Bournemouth, which yeah. was a sensational header by Ollie Watkins. At Unbelievable. That didn't get the like just as it deserved. It was fantastic. And it was that was a really valuable point. Um however, I do think Man City, Arsenal, and Liverpool across the whole of the season will just continuously like just pick up points. Like they are look at Liverpool at the minute. It looks like Liverpool aren't playing well. Like 4-3 against Fulham, 2-0 last night. They're not really in top gear, but they're just accumulating win after win 
And I think if you were to analyse all of those three teams, you probably would say they haven't hit top form yet, and yet they're all right up there. And mm-hmm. uh, whereas I think we perhaps haven't hit true top form across society in terms of back-to-back fantastic performances. You would suggest that uh, there is a blip somewhere in this season for Aston Villa. Just naturally, that would come. Whereas yeah. Liverpool, Arsenal, and I see you would argue they're still their best form is to come. So I don't think we're in a title race. However, on the counter to that, I don't fear Arsenal coming to Villa Park on Saturday. I think we can beat Arsenal. I just think across the course of a season, if we hopefully go deep in the conference, that will catch us out uh, on a couple of games yeah we got Brentford away coming up as well you sort of just fear I, I remember before the Spurs game I was more confident that day of than beating Bournemouth. Tottenham than Bournemouth the same, we just, yeah. weirdly yeah. same yeah so I just think we will drop points where the likes of Liverpool Arsenal and Man City won't and whereas I think we could beat Arsenal at home I think we could beat Liverpool at home who we've still got we've got Man United at home I think we can beat all these teams on the day Mm. I just think across a whole season there's still loads of games left we will drop points where they won't yeah I still think we've got another Nottingham Forest in us somewhere Um, and the Bournemouth game I thought we started the Bournemouth game really well, actually. And I thought, hello, we're finally starting an away game well and not in sort of chaos mode. And then we went and just gave the ball away and they scored. And that, I think, affected the game. Because I think away from home, the problem is we keep conceding early. So it's always mount. We're always climbing mountains. Yeah. If we can. I also think in the Bournemouth game, the VAR disallowed goal had a double negative on us. Absolutely. It did. Because. It took it firstly the goal was disallowed, so that's your first negative, and it took so long, all our momentum had gone. Yeah, so we everybody had literally cooled down, and this is why VAR at times is fast. <laughs> so the players had had time to cool down, the whole momentum we were building had stopped. Yeah, and if that had just been given offside straight away, I'm really confident we would have continued on top for the next five, ten minutes of that game, and we would have found a way to be ahead. Yeah, and but these things happen in football. So we didn't deserve to win that game on the, on the whole of it at all. No, um, but you're right. I think automated offside is definitely the way forward with that. But I, yeah. yeah, I do think with Villa, if we could, if we're a work in progress away from home. If we can just stop conceding early away and start scoring first more like we did last season, then I think I really start to believe then that Villa really could be a Champions League team this season. No, I'm, just... I'm believing that we can be right at the top but I don't believe we can be the very, very, very top. Yeah, not I just... Anyway, frankly, not yet. I just, I feel like there's going to be a, a point in February or March where one of City or Liverpool go on a 10-game winning run. Yeah. And I'm not... It's an interesting one, frankly, because I look, for the first time ever, we're approaching a transfer window where we don't need players. Yeah. But are we in as good a position that we're ever going to be to actually just go for it and should yeah. the owners is this the window to go and raid uh, I don't know somebody from Everton who's a first teamer somebody you know somebody with Premier League experience who is at a mid-table team because we must be a really appealing team to come to right now yeah Right, yeah. like we pay well. We've got all the facilities there. We are on the up. The stadium is going to get rebuilt, except like the ground is going to expand. Could this be the window where we pay over the odds for two or three, like an Anthony Gordon when the Newcastle paid over the odds yeah. to get Anthony Gordon? 
and it took him a while to sell, but he's clearly a top, top quality player. Could this be a window where we go out and make a statement or two signing? And actually, this season could be the one that they go for it. Yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Villa did pull out, uh, you know, Monchi, you know, new to the job, yeah. wants to set his stall out and put a little bit of his own print on the team. I'm sure Emery has identified areas of the, the squad where he thinks we could be stronger. I think right back is probably the, yeah. the one sort of very obvious area. Um, yeah, I, 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 I could see something like that happening. And um, just to give, you know, one or two extra bodies in the running, so that then, you know, when we do get the inevitable injuries, we're actually, we're fine. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I still I still think, you know, if a Watkins or an Emmy Martinez got injured yeah, in yeah. time, I think I do think we're a bit more so than maybe an Arsenal or a City. We're probably a little bit on thinner ice with yeah, those definitely. kinds of players. Um, whereas, you know, City, though they don't have their strongest players there, if they lose Rodri or De Bruyne, you still think, but they still have a really bloody... Like, Calvin yeah, Phillips yeah. isn't even coming off the bench. Like, yeah, yeah. No. So, but look, you know, what an incredibly exciting time to be a Villa fan. And I'm very excited going into Arsenal this weekend. Yeah. Can we beat him? Yeah, absolutely. I'm struggling to remember when I was this excited about going to a game. So... Travelled from London last night, stayed overnight at my parents, travelled back to London today. And I cannot wait to get back on that train. Get me to Euston Station for like 12 o'clock on Saturday. Get me onto that train up to Villa Park. I cannot wait for it. I I say, if you can't be excited about being a Villa fan now, you never will be. There's no point being a Villa fan if you're not excited now. This is the time. And you look at their form as well, Frankie, like... Their away form is almost similar to ours. Like they've drawn yeah. with Chelsea. They got knocked out of the, the League Cup. They lost to Newcastle. I think they got a little bit of unnecessary negative press from their hard-fought win at Brentford. I actually felt that was quite a professional very, performance. It's a very they, good win. they scored late, but they were in control of that game, I felt. And then that Luton game the other night was crazy. But they're not blowing teams away, away from home. They're not really in control of many of these games away from home. So if you were to pick a fault with Arsenal right now, it is their away form. Mm. If you were, their goalkeeper situation is unsettled, I would say. They, Raya made a few mistakes. Could they pick Ramsdale? Could they pick Raya? Further, they don't know who they're going to pick in goal. It's only a benefit to any opposition. Their next three Premier League games are really tough. They got us away Brighton home and then Liverpool away. Oh, right. This is, okay. a, this is a mini run. And within that, they've got PSV, but they've already won their group, so they'll rest everybody for that game. But their next three games, they'll be looking at it, nine points on that would be an amazing result. Mm. I think they're going to accept that they're going to drop points. I think if you were to challenge an Arsenal fan, I would have thought they would be taking a point from Villa Park on Saturday. Um, but... I think there's some, going to be some really interesting matchups, and I genuinely think it'll be a quality game of football. That after last night, if we if we play like last night, we'll be, we'll win. We'll yeah. win. And that's the thing. Like I think for neutrals, Aston Villa now is a, is a must see game. You know, I went to yeah. watch the Tottenham game with an Arsenal fan friend of mine, and he was just loving it. Um, yeah. it. Just every Villa game just seems to be so entertaining, and you know, you never quite know what's going to happen. Um, yeah, Arsenal. I think. Uh, I've been to the Emirates this season to watch them play, uh, and I've seen quite a lot of their games. Just because I've, I think when you live down here, you, I, yeah. you seem to get to know a lot of Arsenal fans, so I take more of an interest in them than I otherwise would do. Yeah. And um, I think what I've felt with them is that whilst they're obviously a 
excellent team, brilliant players. Declan Rice, what a signing. Yeah. Um, there is still something not quite clicking yeah. at full pelt yet, even though they're top of the league and obviously doing very well. Yeah. Um, I do wonder if they would look at Luton away and Villa away and think, Kind of like how we looked at Spurs and Bournemouth, maybe think I'd rather Villa than Luton, weirdly. Maybe. Um, but I think if Villa have a similar shape to what we had against City, compact in the middle, but then once that ball gets out to Saka and Martinelli, who just drag you wide all game, and we really struggled with Saka and Ben White's overlapping runs yeah. and underlapping runs last season. If we can double up on those two and trap, those, trap that run with uh, Ben White, but also... Maybe even just man Mark Odegaard. As soon as they're in possession, just get on him. Don't let him play. Because then you, if you can start to disrupt them, all right, Declan Rice could get the ball a bit deeper and maybe try and drive forward, but that's probably not their ideal situation. So, uh, and then on top of that, you know, if they're inverted fullback, they don't, you know, they're at left back this season. They're not looking very good. You know, Jurian no, Timber no. was signed to go there, got injured. Zinchenko's struggling, gave the ball away for the Wolves goal the other day. And on top of that, you know, Kivior didn't play so well against Luton as well. So I feel like that area of the pitch, exactly where Leon Bailey is, yeah, Moussa Diaby, that's, again, probably the area where I think we can really do a lot of damage, particularly if their fullback comes into the centre of the pitch and there's suddenly space there, get the ball quickly, whip it forward and just direct go quick on yeah. the transition. So I'm really excited for it. I think it'll be a really top-notch game. And, you know, even whatever happens, if Villa, you know, if this is the day the winning run ends, I still feel, though, with this Villa team that I still feel like we'll bounce back. Well, that's the thing. That's something that Emery has done incredibly well, is that we haven't had a bad run of form. We've had a couple of odd games, but we'd very rare. I don't know if we've had back-to-back. <laughs> we certainly haven't had it this season. But every time we've had a setback, we've just bounced back. And it's almost yeah. like the wins don't... If that felt slightly different last night, but the wins aren't that euphoric and the defeats aren't that terrible. You just keep marching forward. And we've got... Now that we've won one of these two games, said so this week, they, this was looking like a potentially really, really sticky period. Uh, still really hard games. But the next two home games at home in the league after this are Burnley and Sheffield United. Hmm. So you will be odds on to win both of those games. So this is now, everything about it is a free hit. You've got your three points against Man City. So nobody probably in their wildest dreams expected six points from these two games. So you've got three points. You can really, you can hurt Arsenal, like oh, yeah. you said there. One thing that would be interesting is we've said it on this uh, this chat, Frankie, is that that was our best Villa performance. Would you change the starting eleven for Arsenal? Um, I'm sort of vaguely wondering if because we've had so many games in a row, uh, left your Warsaw. Three days later, Bournemouth. Three days later, we've ended up with our, uh, City. And three days later, we've been at Arsenal. That's such a yeah. such a vast number of games in short time. But I do wonder if he might mix it up again just to give, just to manage the minutes essentially. And if you you don't you don't want to drop Bailey after his performance of the night. I, so I I doubt he'll drop Bailey. But at the same time, if Diaby started over him, I also wouldn't be that surprised by that. Yeah, um, I think we're quite lucky in that we're pretty much guaranteed to win the group in the conference. Yeah, so famous last words, obviously. So I would <laughs> imagine the likes of Watkins, McGinn, Martinez probably we won't even travel. Yeah, to Bosnia. So and the euphoria from that game, I think that will get them through another game. 
So there there is a potential to give five or six of them literally two, three days off next week. Yeah. So the only change I would be interested to make would be getting Carlos out, who I thought handled Harlan exceptionally last night. Brilliant. Um, But I would still prefer personally to have Cash at right back and Konza as a centre-back. I think that is our strongest back four. Mm-hmm. Currently, obviously, we I think Moreno will hopefully reach his heights when he gets back to full fit. But I think right now our best back four is Dinya, Pau, Conza, uh, and Cash. Yeah, and I just feel Martinelli and that left side up against Cash is a better match than Conza. That would be the only area I expect I I could see a change. I, I think after the amazing performance, I think he'll be inclined to keep the rest of it the same. In truth, it'll probably keep the whole 11 the same is what where my, my gut feel is at the moment. That's a good point, actually, because, you know, you think last night uh, with City, um, their wingers didn't have pace. No. Foden and Bernardo Silva and then Rico Lewis, I think, they're, they're not really players that can run at you. So having Conta there at right back was probably perfect, to be honest. Maybe he brings in Moreno and Cash because they're both faster. Yeah. Um, and if they get, you know, if, if one of Martinelli or Saka does get in behind, at least you've got somebody who can probably just get back. And at the same time with Carlos as well, because his, of his injury problems in recent years, asking him to do three 90s in a row in the space yeah. of one of five days probably is quite a lot. So I think you might be right um, about that, actually. Cash on the right to deal with the pace of Martinelli and then just manage Carlos's minutes. I'd love Carlos to play every game, of course, but... Um, yeah. You, you know, Emery's there's a reason he's won so, so many trophies in Europe because he's he's capable of managing minutes basically. So, yeah, I, I think probably the back line is where you might see some changes. Yeah, potentially. Um, but it's going to be a fun game, Frankie. It's going to be a fun one. Can't wait. Can't wait. Um, well, uh, Webbo, you know, you're chair of the London Lions. I ask you this every time. I'm part <laughs> of the London Lions as well. What a brilliant group. Get down the yak and elephant and castle, I tell you. But, uh, Webbo, for those listening, um, how can you get involved with the London Lions? Yeah, so I'm the chairman of the football club that uh, play for the London Lions. There's various different chairmen, uh, chairpeople from the North, South, East and South London Lions. So you can reach out to Frankie or you can find London Lions on all social media platforms. As Frankie alluded to, uh, we have a pub in Elephant and Castle, which show all Villa games, uh, whether they're on their TV or not. So it's a great hub to meet fellow Villa fans if you're in London. Uh, and then there's quite a few of us that go up to the games as well. So if you need a travel companion on either the Chiltern Rail or the Avanti up from London to Birmingham one game, then uh, reach out. There's always one of us on the trains going up at least. You're always going to need a travel companion because those trains get delayed so much. Um, uh, <laughs> thank you, uh, thank you, Emma, for joining us. But um, before we go, uh, there was some sad news in uh, the world of Aston Villa today. Uh, the All Villa No Filler podcast wishes to send its respects to the family and friends of the poet Benjamin Zephaniah, uh, who has passed away. I think the House of E writer James Rushton put it best that he was a son of Birmingham, but a gift to the world. Professor Zephaniah was from the Aston area and a lifelong Villa fan. I strongly recommend watching his interview with the in-house club channel about his life as a Villa fan and his ode to the club as well. Also, check out the great man's poetry, of course. Rest in peace, Benjamin. A whole tender in the sky, always with us. (laughs) 